Internets. This portion of the Combat Jack Show is brought to you by Bevel. Bevel, the superior shaving system for people with coarse and curly hair, specifically people that look like you, 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 and me. Right now, a special offer. If you go to getbevel.com, G-E-T-B-E-V-E-L.com, and punch in the promo code COMBAT, C-O-M-B-A-T, like me, Combat Jack, you get 20% off all purchases and associated with this product. I've been telling you for over a year right now, I've been using Bevel. I've had no razor bumps, no blemishes, no bruises, none of that nasty stuff that comes with all the, associated with all those other suit. Like, listen, I'm going to tell you right now, man. I told you all this before. One of these guys recently approached me to do an ad for another shaving system. I was like, you better get the fuck on out of here. I don't sell my audience the bullshit. I sell them Bevel because I live by this. I use this every day. Go to getbevel.com, G-E-T-B-E-V-E-L.com, promo code COMBAT for 20% off. Shave like a boss. And now back to the show. Internets, you are tuned in to the Combat Jack Show, thecombatjackshow.com. Um, I've been having such a great season uh, doing so many different shows, uh, different shows that, that you would expect from a quote-unquote hip-hop podcast. But, you know, if you guys have been following me for, for the past five, five and a half years, that I've been doing this, you know that I love, you know, to go beyond the box, outside of the box, and 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 cover stories like Raymond Santana from the Central Park Five and Corey Pegues, the quote unquote thug cop, and 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 I think you know it, it was this time a year last year that we had Corey on, and 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 as well as as Raymond, and recently I came across uh, this story in the New Yorker magazine that was uh, submitted to me by our executive producer Chris Morrow. And it was in the October 5th issue of The New Yorker. There's, a, there's an article called A Daughter's Death, and it was written by Jennifer Gonerman, and it, it really focused on, on, a, on a gentleman by the name of Taylon Murphy, and it's an, it's an amazing story. And we felt it was important to have them on this show, on this platform, to talk about their story, um, the challenges, the, the triumphs, and, 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 and the continued journey that they face. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome to the Combat Jack Show, Mr. Talon Murphy and Ms. Jennifer Gonneman. Welcome to the Con- Combat Jack Show. Thank you. Thank you. You guys have, I mean, it's, 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 it's just amazing, you know, how we go about living our individual lives and focused on the things that we need to focus on and not really looking at things beyond our quote unquote safe or not so safe lives. And when Chris showed me the, showed me the story, passed the story on to me of what you, what, what you went through, Mr. Murphy, I was like, we have to have you on the Combat Jack show. So let's ease our audience into, you know, your journey, your life. Sir, you're from originally New York City, fellow New Yorker. Yes, I'm a fellow New Yorker. I was born in Queensbridge. The bridge? Yes, yes. 696. Now, you moved out of the bridge when you were four years old? Yes, yes. So yes. you don't remember much of the bridge? Well, I, I still have family that's in the bridge now. Okay. So, I mean, we moved into the bridge in 1951. Wow. So we were there through that whole uh, gentrification of public housing. Because mm-hmm. at that time, it right. was... um. Irish, um, Italian, uh, you know, and, and different ethnic groups there. So we were like one of the first 10 families to actually, black families to actually move out to Queensbridge. Okay. And, and, and I would imagine, uh, that that caused some form of white flight where the, you know, the, the, the community changed slowly, but, but quickly over time. Yeah. Slowly and quickly over time. Um, you know, in 69, when I was born, the community had basically kind of like quote-unquote flipped over right 
Now, tell us about your family. Um, your father was a prison guard? Well, my father was, uh, he started out of prison. Mm-hmm. Um, he actually um, retired from the courts. He was a court clerk when he retired. He wasn't too um, happy with what was going on in the, at that time in the prison system. So he wanted to move. He definitely needed a job, you know, to take care of us. Because coming back from the war. Vietnam War. Vietnam War. Right. And um, he he had to take on a job. And plus, he had been taking care of his um, siblings because my grandfather died when he was pretty young. So he had been taking care of his siblings since he was like 11 years old, 12 years old. So he took on he took on a job in the prisons um, and I ended up leaving and going into the court system. And actually, uh, he ended up um, running a program called Court Tours, where he would take the young people on the court on tours to deter them from going into the system. Now, growing up, did your father talk to you about the things that he witnessed or the trappings of the quote-unquote justice system and prison and the courts and the whole nine? Well, I mean, he talked to me about the justice system. I mean, he really um, stressed the point of um, it was a just us system to a mm-hmm. certain extent, you know, and um, that's one of the reasons why he said he had to get out of corrections, you know, just seeing young men that's from different neighborhoods that, you know, he had frequent that he couldn't, you know, he couldn't stomach it. So he thought he could go to the courts and maybe be more of a deterrent within the system. So at a certain point, uh, your family moved, gets up and they move out of Queensbridge and you guys move to Williamsburg. Yeah, we well, actually, um, I, I stayed with my, my grandmother in Tompkins Project okay. for, for quite some time. Right. Um, 919 Middle Avenue. Um, actually, um, a good friend of mine back then, childhood friend of mine, was on um, Tracy Morgan. Wow. Yeah, How yeah. was Tracy back then, man? Tracy was funny, man. It used to be uh, Tracy, uh, Fat Lenny, um, Alan Antoine. You know, they used to call me yummy because I used to eat it. You know, I eat a lot. I was a fat little, you know, fat guy. Right. I eat a lot. That was my nickname back then. Um, and, uh, you know, Tracy was just, you know, we were regular guys, man. We'd go out, play, play little, um, hit the sponge ball off the barrel and different things of that nature. And, um, you know, we, we were living life, you know, in the 70s, you know, coming up. Did you ever think that Tracy would be doing what Tracy's doing now? I mean, he was always funny. <laughs> you know, we, he was always funny. We had a funny little crew, you know, crew of us that were just, you know, jokesters. But, you know, Tracy always standed, stood out, just stood out. Now, you, you speak about standing out, but from what I understand, um, you and school stood out. You know, in terms of um, being somebody that was gifted, and and so I, from what I understand and, and the story that I read, uh, you uh, were placed in a you know a gifted class. Yeah, I was in a um, I was in a SP class, okay, uh, and an IGC class um, from from public school on all the way up through junior high school. Okay, and it's noted that this same same special class uh, had another uh, noted celebrity or noted. Uh, first son of uh, of Brooklyn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My man Sean. Sean, Sean, Sean Carter, Jay Z. Sean, Sean. Um, Jay was actually uh, <laughs> you know, Jennifer. We 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 talk about this, and me and Jen laugh. But um, Jay was actually in um, we we it was six SP, seven SP, eight SP, and right. Jay was in like eight one, eight two. I mean eight. You know, six one, six seven one, eight eight one. But he was definitely up there in, in in the class with the with the brains. You know so you I mean? so you knew Jay? Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, we we definitely knew each other, and you know, it was junior high school, man. You know, we knew each other from the neighborhood. You know, um, when he was starting to get get on and do his thing, um, I remember he used to come to my neighborhood because at that time I had moved out 
and moved, my family had moved down to Lindsay. Right. And, and he used to go into this barber shop on Manhattan Avenue. Okay. And at that particular time, you know, we all would get our, he'd get his hair cut there. I actually had a, a game room there at the time, and he came, and I remember listening to Dead Presidents in his wow, car. Wow, yeah. wow. Did you know Jazzo? Yeah, Jazzo's from the neighborhood, too. Right, I right. mean, we all from the same neighborhood, man. Um, we all, me and Jay went to the IS, IS-318 together. 318 is like right in the middle of, um, you know, Marcy, uh, Tompkins, mm-hmm. Lindsay. You know, Lindsay Park is where I grew up at, you know. You, at the beginning of my career as an attorney, um, I, I represented Rockefeller Records. So I worked closely with Damon Dash, Clark Kent, Jazzo, Jay-Z, like at the very, very beginning of the career. So it's, it's kind of funny how we, and I'm a Brooklyn cat too. I grew okay. up in, a, in Crown Heights, um, Albany, Lincoln Place between Albany and Troy, not too far from Albany Project. So, okay. you know, Brooklyn, Brooklyn's in the building. Yeah, Brooklyn's man. in the building, definitely. You definitely. were nice in basketball. Oh, man. Are you still nice in basketball? Listen, man, these the old knees, man. I might give you. <laughs> Come might, on, let's do, do might, some yoga, Taylor. <laughs> I, I might give you a, a, a hard three minutes, man. Okay, <laughs> hard three minutes, and then I'm done, man. You know. But you, but 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 back then, you 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 had a spark on the ball court. Yes or no? Yeah, I had a I had potential. I definitely had potential. Um, you know, my dad was a, a stickler for sports. So uh, Knicks, we, Knicks fan. If we didn't play, yeah. Well, we 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 were New York fans. Okay. So right. I mean, if we didn't play sports, we we got the PS Flyers. We didn't get really. The, we didn't get the new sneakers. You didn't and, get the the, the Chuck Taylors. Yeah. I mean, and you had to score. You had to score about twenty points, but to have two or three pair of sneakers. You so know that was the incentive. That the incentive. The incentive was for me to actually get on that court and do my thing. Right. So I mean, and I played a little bit and uh. I went 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 out to high school out in out in South Jamaica Queens August Martin August Martin I know some friends I went to August Martin yeah and, I, and we my team my my team was the only team that got a championship in Martin for wow. the boys wow till this day wow till this day till this day you you made history yeah basically I mean in more ways than, <laughs> now in more ways than one <laughs> um Taylor growing up man what what did you see yourself becoming man oh man um. Growing up, man, I always wanted to. I always wanted to do something to, to help people. I I went to August Martin actually to fly planes. Mm-hmm. That was my passion. It was an aviational program. It was an avia- aviation aviation program, program right. and um, to fly planes. I wanted to be a pilot, you know. And I, you know, I had different thoughts of what I really wanted to do, but I know deep down inside, I wanted to help my people in some type of way. Um, growing up in Brooklyn, and this is my personal experience. Growing up, uh product of the late 60s, 70s, um, there was a time where regardless what economic status our family was in, it was a beautiful time. You know, we had our friends, we played a game, played games, and you know, it was kind of scary. I remember in my young mind how Brooklyn started getting when some of the vets started coming back home from Vietnam because they were in a sense displaced. Right. Um, but growing up with our friends, everything was cool, and I just remember early 80s things really started to change yeah, you know definitely. um I'm, and i'm saying right right before the crack epidemic hit you know as i started to get into my teenage years you started seeing how we were being separated in in, in different tracks i i definitely was was the nerd kid focused on college but the kids that i grew up with playing skelly some started carrying guns some cat you know and then the crack epidemic came down like a monster Definitely. Like we were definitely not prepared for that invasion. Definitely. Um, I was fortunate because when it hit my block, Lincoln Place, 
between Albany and Troy, which was which was a hot zone. I was in college, so I was kind of sheltered from that, you know, from being on the front lines. But you you kind of got caught up in that. Yeah, I mean, um, that's that's a time in my life that I'm I'm really not proud of. Right. You know, uh, a lot of influences from um, older people. Um, that didn't have your best interests? That didn't have my best interests. Right. Um, being a ball player and traveling all over the, the city playing ball, because I used to travel all over the city, man. I played with some of the best, man. Lloyd Daniels, wow. Kenny Anderson. Wow. Lloyd was on my CYO team. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, traveling around the city, you know, you know, you tend to meet people. And as I got older and going through high school, you know, when I got into my junior and senior year, um, things kind of changed. Right. And, you know, we seen the opportunity of all that glitter. Right. And uh, we thought that that was the way to go. And, you know, just wanting to be a part of something that was definitely destructive. Definitely destructive but and, and, and not making any excuses. But I also remember the pressure, the pressures that we faced back then, because it was like you either had nothing. Like you came of age where you realize, oh, shit. This, this this has been great, but when you really look at it, we have nothing with regard to material things, or some people have everything. It was a huge chasm. Yeah, and chasm. Yeah, and, and 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 you and you know, back in the eighties, I was a college kid, and 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 I went to Cornell University, and my friends went to Syracuse, and the street cats, the street cats aspired to hang out with the college kids because, to them. It was a, a a better pool with regard to the class of women that they had uh, access to, and then also just expanding their territory. So it was ill, just how pervasive, how 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 easily influenced all of us were. And I'm talking about me in college, how easy. So I can't even imagine. Yeah, it was definitely a trap. Right, man. it right. was definitely a major trap that was all uh, set for our communities. Right. Um, we didn't really understand what was going on. I call it biological warfare. Mm. Because uh, we were dealing in something that we didn't know that was going to take down a whole generation and maybe a few generations. A few generations. I mean, yeah. horrendous, horrendous damage. But but being young, I mean, when you're young, you know, you don't think like right. like how you think when you get a little older and you go through some trials and tribulations and really start looking at the big picture and understanding that you know it was a setup and um you know we 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 were um. We, we were, um, <laughs> I, you know, it, it's just crazy when you, when you like 18, 17 years old and you could put three, 4,000 in your pocket and get some of those hey, felines hey, and some Gucci's yeah, and, you know, uh, and you, you out there, you know, running around and you're hanging out and you're going to certain spots, Zodiac, that's, mm. that's we hang out uptown. So, I mean, it was, it was something that was, um, you know, it was something that really like, Lord, young people into wanting to be a part of that life, you know. And um, I I grew up. I mean, well, I went to school in the eighties out in South Jamaica, and right. South Jamaica was like the epitome. It was. I mean, some other. I mean, it, yeah. it was like yeah, it was. It was. It was crazy. And coming from Brooklyn, that was a whole other galaxy. Yeah, coming from Brooklyn, you know, a lot of people. Oh, you know, you know, Brooklyn Medina Warriors. So right. coming from Brooklyn, they look at you like, yo, man, you 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 got it a little. You know, you got it rough. You know right. how to how to handle yourself out here, and you know, and it, it was. It, like you said, it was pervasive. Right. Very pervasive. How did it change you, man? Um, it, it it changed me, man. When I when I actually uh, when I actually uh got a lot arrested the first time. Right. How old were you? 
I had to be uh, 18 years 18, old, right. 17, 18 years old at that time. And, and, and how did it affect your relationship with your family? I mean, it definitely affected the relationship with my family, man, because, you know, all I had to do was be a hard worker, you know, be a stickler, you know, with my books. I was a smart young man, you know. Um, at that particular time, it was looked at as you underachieving. You know, it wasn't any honor in uh, what I was doing. So, I mean, I, 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 I'm pretty sure my family was disappointed. Right. And, 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 and that I, I can imagine that weighed on you heavily. Oh, it definitely weighed on me um, pretty heavy. And, um, you know, it was, it, was, it was a time. Right. And it was a time, and it was something that I definitely wanted to get away from. But, you know, when you're in that, when you're in that life and you're dealing with certain people, it's a process. Right. You know, even with these, you know, even with now, with these young people, it's a process getting away from, you know, making a choice that, that's not in your best interest. People think it's so easy from the outside. Uh, looking in and saying, why don't you just change your, you know, your whole lifestyle? And and I'll tell you, I worked with a lot of creative clients who came from that environment, who had one hand in the streets and one hand in music, and then they get a big check for like $150,000, $250,000. To some people, it's like, oh, we can just change our lives overnight. But it's not that easy. You still, you, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's a process, man. It's a process. And it's definitely a process. And I mean, I, I give the young people, I was down at all, Probation, talking to some young people. Yesterday, Archers actually a mandated probation program, talking to some young people. And I was telling them, man, I'm like, I understand it's a process because, you know, when you're around certain things, I mean, you, I mean, to stay for instance, when you're around a connect, you know where he drives, mm -hmm. you know where he lives at, you know where his, where his mom lives at, you know mm -hmm. who his girlfriend is. And then you turn around one day and say, yo, I'm out. Right. You know, I'm not doing this no more. They looking at you like, yo, man, what you talking about, man? Right. We you know, know every aspect you, of your life. You, you, know, you, you know everything about me. Right. So and where, we know we, everything about you. Yeah, where you going? Right. So, I mean, that that's one thing that I explain to young people, you you know, about your choices, man. You got to really make good choices when you're younger because you don't know how that's going to affect you as you grow older. Right. So, you, so you're young, you get you get arrested, and, 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 and you're still trying to do the right thing. Right, yeah. you're still trying to do the right thing. Um, you get a job, yeah. but you. And what, what was your job, man? Yeah, I was working at uh, Jacoby Hospital. Okay, man. my aunt got in me, the Bronx. In the Bronx, my, my, my aunt got me a job up in the Bronx, man. I'm Yo, probably, that commute was a bitch. <laughs> yeah. I'm running from the from Brooklyn to the Bronx, getting on the J and catching that on um, five all the way to Die Island. That's an hour and a half man, each it, way, right? Yeah, it was crazy, man. I mean, about about a year in. You know, they would already have me on disciplinary charges right. about being late, man. Yo, you late all the time, but I had to keep going because this was a family. You know, I come from a tight-knit family, right. you know, that everybody's a professional. So I couldn't let my aunt down right. that she got me this job. Right. So I had to keep going, keep it, going. It's crazy because my crazy. mom's was a, a, a lab technician at Jacoby, so she used to make the commute from Crown Heights. So <laughs> that's why I knew it was like a three-hour a three hour commute every yeah, day. Every day. Every so, day. You're working this job, man. Things are looking bright, but you're still in the hood. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> and then you get shot. Yeah. Like, yeah. like, yeah. was it still remnants from what you was doing well, or just the, just the, the, the shit that we deal with as kids growing up in the hood? I think it's just, I think it was just the things that we deal with in the hood. Right. I mean, I didn't know these individuals. Um, you know, I was going through the style at that time. You know, I had a, um. Her older daughter, my oldest daughter, was living there, and I okay. was going through the style to go visit her. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, two individuals 
ran up behind me and I seen him reaching and, you know, I kind of like, what you reaching for? But at that time, I wore a lot of jewelry. Mm. You know, jewelry was the thing back then in the right. 80s, the Gucci links. So the, you had a Gucci link? Know, yeah, the Did Gucci Did you have the, Merce- the Mercedes <laughs> link, too, or the... Nah, just the Gucci. Okay. The Gucci link with the, you know, with a Gucci, Gucci on bracelet. Right. You know, you had to have the matching bracelet to of go course. with the matching chain and, um, you know, gold watch. Mm. So, you know, at that time, we were gold heads. And, um, you know, I, I actually got shot in my arm. And right. I got a chance to... It got... They didn't get the drop on me, but I got a chance to look back and, and you know, I took flight, man. Right. Ended up getting shot in my arm. Was it was it a serious injury? Um, I mean, it went in one side of my arm and went out the other side of my arm. You know, um, hope, I mean, gratefully, you know, it didn't hit any vitals. Right, right. You know, um, they ended up taking me to the hospital just for a day to do the um dye test to make sure that, you know, the arteries were good and everything was good, and I was out the next day. And you knew at that point that, oh, you already knew it wasn't sweet. Yeah. But now you knew it was like, yo, it's that that trauma. Oh, man, that trauma is something else, man, because um, you get to thinking and wondering and thinking about, you know, just being out there, you know, and, you know, the first thing you're thinking about is what's next, you know, what's next, you know, and. And 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 you and you little wor- you you little worried man you worried because you want to hold down your square you know and you don't you don't want anybody to take anything from you so um you know you you know I just I made a choice man yeah. I'm gonna tell you man like on, on this show uh, we talk a lot about um, therapy and right. how 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 it's very vital especially for the conditions that a lot of us are exposed to at, at such early ages and um, I had somebody recently reach out to me and said that they were interested in therapy and I, I you know I was like well, what what happened and he was like well at 16 I got shot it was it was very close to, to, to not making it and then you know afterwards the community like a, after I healed community was like well what's wrong like 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 man up little nigga like 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 come on you scared and he was like he never got over that and 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 now in his, his 20s hearing that hearing people encouraging him to get therapy he, he saw therapy but we know nothing about that yeah. At that age, especially back then, man, yeah. you know, it's just, you know, we got to continue moving. Right. So now you're strapped. Not, now yeah. you get, now you're carrying yeah. out of protection. Yeah. No one's going to get the drop on you anymore. Yeah, basically. And you're going to work and you still live in this life of, of trying to, you know, maintain some honor with your aunt. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. And then what happened? Oh, man. You know, I woke up one morning, you know, and you know about the commute because you just said it, you know, and I, I had this disciplinary charge. Right. Like, you know, I'm getting ready to get fired, man. Right. So, um. So, I, damn, you think about the wolves in the street <laughs> and you think about keeping your job. Yeah, think about the wolves in the street. Think about keeping my job, man. That's and, a fucking tightrope, man. And, um, you know, and, 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 and like I said, that's the process, right. man. That's the process of coming out to life. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, I grab my bag, I get dressed, I look at that. I woke up late, actually. I woke up late. I said, I got to make it to this J train. Mm-hmm. If I don't get to this 645 J train, man, Jesus I'm done. Christ. You know what I mean? I got my aunt on me. I got my um, my mom and dad on me. You know, you you just a screw up. Like, what are you doing? So I grabbed it. I grabbed the bag. A brief. I had a briefcase with some paperwork in it that I knew I had to, had to take for, for work. Right. You know, to show them, you know, whatever I had to show, you know, some documents. Right. Grab the briefcase with the documents and don't realize that I got the loaded deuce deuce in the in, 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 in the in the bag. I'm running out the door. I see that 645 train. So I, I'm I don't have no time to go get no tokens. I jet run up, uh-huh. run up, 
run up the stairs, run through the gate, man, get to the train. Cops come and say, yo, man, come here, man. What so you, you doing? So you the turnstile? No, back then it was oh, the yeah, gate. The, the gate, right? You know, the, the yellow gate, The right? yellow gate back right, right. then. You know, stupid man, mistake, man. Choices again, man. Made a dumb, 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 dumb decision. Very dumb decision, man. Um, Thinking about getting to this job and uh, the detectives call me over and say, yo, man, come here, man. Come here for a minute. What you doing? I'm like, man, listen, man. Just give me. I done lost my job, man. Just give me the ticket. <laughs> you man. knew you lost it. Yeah, yeah, I was like, man, just give me the ticket, right. man. And, and he looks in the bag. He says, what's this? And I'm like, oh, man, you know, deuce, deuce, automatic. What you doing with this? I'm like, oh. So, I mean, from one thing I do know from my dad, you know what I mean, keep my mouth shut. Right. You know, don't say nothing. So I didn't say anything. They ran me down the um, Broadway Junction, you know, and um, they got me in the holding pen, and I'm like, oh, man, I got to do a bullet. You know, I'm just thinking like mandatory one year. One year, year. Yeah. I got to do a bullet back then. You know, I'm a fool. I'm gonna get it anyway. You know? what, what year was this? This was um 1990. So it was Dink. Was it Dinkins? I'm pretty, or Contra Dinkins? Might have been 1990. Might have been. I might have been. Um, Dinkins. Dinkins, already. right? Dinkins already. So um, you know, I'm looking at. Oh, I'm gonna get a bullet. Next thing I know, they like, yo, look, man, we got some people to come see you, and I'm like, people. What are you talking about? You know, the next thing I know, there's some um, detectives from the 113 precinct out there in Jamaica, Queens, that come and visit me and say, like, yo, man, we got, we need to talk to you. So they take me out of the holding pen and take me out to um, Queens. And actually, they took me to the 103rd, which I didn't understand why I was at the 103rd if the 113th got me. Put me in this room, man, and said to me, look, man, we know you've been active. You was active out here. Mm-hmm. We know you know a few people. You know, um, you was live out here. If um, you don't tell us about this, you know, uh, we 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 got this for you. Right. And I'm saying, like, what are you talking about? Well, we got a suspect warrant for you on a murder. And I'm like, murder? I just hopped the train. And I'm like, yo, man. <laughs> I said, yo, look, man. You know, I don't know what you talk about with no with, with no murder in right. my head. I'm saying, yo, man. I just, you know, I just, I made a, I made a mistake, a right. big mistake. Right. But you know, I don't know nothing about no murder. I don't know what you're talking about. You know, and they was like, well, we seen you around these guys. You know, we know you affiliated with the, you know, around these guys. I'm like, man, mm. look, man. I'm, you know, back then, I'm, I'm 18, 17, 18 years old, man. You know. Even if I was around them guys, they ain't, you know, they not putting me on to, to nothing like that. Or, right. you know, and I'm just saying all these things in my head because I didn't do too many talk, too much mm-hmm. talking to them. So then they said, uh, well, we have a witness. You don't tell us about this. We have a witness to say that you murdered this man. Wow. In um, Roy Wilkins Park, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, you you tried to rob him and you, and you murdered him over his jury. And I was like, man, I don't know who you talking about. Well, well, if she picks you out of this lineup with this photo array, you going down. Right. Um, they ended up putting me in the um It happened to be a lineup first. Nothing happened. Then I guess they said they showed her a photo array. And um, they came back and said, yeah, she told me that you did. You, you wow. did it. So we're charging you with murder. Wow. When you feel like when you feel like playing ball, you feel like talking, man, you know, we, we you know, we, we'll work something out. So I, I thought it was, you know, they was joking, man. And um, it wasn't the case. And it's it's crazy, man, particularly at that age. I mean, at that time, before we became a lot more aware of how this system works, you're assuming 
I didn't do anything, so there's nothing that could happen to me. Hell, man, I mean, right? <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I I went through that. I I didn't do anything for about a year, man, and um, you know, I, I spent most of that time in solitary confinement, and in um, a place called HDM is closed down right now, but um. One of the one of the worst places on the island you could be at that time in 1990, man. The things that was going on there, you know. the culture of Rikers Island was was very vicious then. You know, um, the phones went direct, so you kind of had to, the phones were like a lifeline mm-hmm. to everything. So you had to kind of fight to get on the phone, right, right. fight to do phone check and all yeah, that. It, you know, it was it was a fight to do everything. Right. You know, um, I had I had some big brothers in there from from the neighborhood that you know. Knew that I was a smart guy. Knew that I was trying to change my life around. Uh, you know, being that I was able to travel through most of the boroughs because that was just my makeup. Um, a lot of brothers from different boroughs actually, you know, really looked out for me, and you know, they was they 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 loved me because I had a lot of heart and um, not too smart, but I had a lot of heart, <laughs> you know, and um, you know, they they pretty much, you know, kind of held me down. I want to I want to explain something to 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 particularly the younger listeners. When you said that you were able to travel throughout New York and, and because you were a certain type of cat, Internet, you guys don't understand really how, you know, the, 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 the Internet has really uh, made the world a lot smaller. But back then, growing up in New York, whatever borough you, in, you were in, like going to another borough or even going to another neighborhood was like going to another state. Yeah, definitely. And, and, and if, you were in a, if you were in a different neighborhood, if you were in a different borough and cats didn't know you and you were in the wrong place, you know, you you had to either be live, or you had to take you had to take a L, and and you saying I, I'm I'm catching the subtlety about how you were able to travel throughout New York City, and cats gave you that respect from borough to borough means you were definitely recognized as a live cat. Yeah, that that and I had a I had a, I had a great I had a I had a huge family, man. right? I had a huge family, which helps, which <laughs> ha- which helped, you know, but um. You know, I was a guy that, yo, look, man, if you're not bothering me, man, I'm not bothering right. you, man. I'm just trying to, you know, at, at a certain point, man, I was just trying to make my ones and twos when, when I was, you know, back when I was in that life, touched right. that life. Right, and, right. and, you know, I always work with the respect um, factor, you know. Right. As long as we keep that mutual respect, everything is cool. Now, what was your legal, what was your legal support like? Oh, man, I mean, you know... <laughs> I mean, did your family hire an attorney? Well, I mean, my family was so angry with me, man. They right. was like, "Yo, look, man, you 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 worked that out yourself <laughs> at first, you right. know." And um, they, not really knowing that you, in a sense, being railroaded. Not in a sense, really knowing that I, I was being railroaded. I don't think it came down to this till the second trial, right? That they really understood what was going on, and um, you know, just because I lived in a co-op didn't mean everybody that lived in in Lindsay Park, which is Mitchellama houses, didn't mean you know, to, 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 to a lot of people, it's like, wow, you live in Mitchellama houses, pretty proud. They used to call it the pretty project. Right. But my family was still, you know, struggling to make ends meet and struggling to, to, to do certain things. So, you know, it, it, it took like the first trial before they said, whoa, what's, what's really going on here? You know? And, and so, um, the first trial was, what, what happened with the first trial? First trial, man, I had a hung jury. Uh, it was eight, four to acquit, you know, because, um, people were saying like, it was so many things in that in that courtroom that was like like incredibly um inconsistent. Right. That that they were like, you know, I, I killed this guy and and then I went to work and 
you know, it just didn't make sense. Right. None, of, none, of it, none of it made sense. Right. Fabricated nonsense. Fabricated nonsense. To, to make sure that, that, that whatever they threw at you stuck, you know, they were doing their best to put you in. They was doing their best to put me in. Right. And, um, you know, and, and, and people don't know how, how, how crazy it gets, man, because, you know, when they, when they, when they want to railroad you or think that you know something that, that you know, at, 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 in my case, that I didn't know, you know, when they think you know something, man, they'll go to all kinds of extents to, to, to have you um, roll over, so right. to speak. Right. And then your second trial. You had, a, you had a second trial. I had a second trial. I mean, as far as I recall, it was like 10-2 to acquit. Um, you know, I don't know. It was it was it was two two hung juries, right? And um, my second trial was um, I think it was ten two to acquit. It might have been eight four, the same thing. And um, you know, I was thinking that, and my family was thinking that, listening to all the nonsense that was going on in the courtroom, that you it's know, become clearer and clearer that this is a farce. Yeah, that they was gonna let me go. Right. Okay. You know, and that wasn't the case. Um, I, another lawyer. I think he was the supervisor of um, the Legal Aid Society. Uh, came and took my case and went down and spoke to the DA. And uh, the DA actually had went back to the judge and said, "Man, we're gonna take this dude again." You know. Um, and they were they were fixated on you. They, they yeah, wanted I to mean, make they wanted to make a case out of you. I think they wanted to make a point, right? You know, or or make an example. I don't know what was going on back then. I was you know I was young. You know, and confused and you know, confused. Um, um going through a lot. Had had a daughter, um, and and all these times that that, the, that these cases are falling through. Are you released or are you still? No, I'm still locked up. You're man. still locked up. Yeah, I'm locked up, man. I did most of that. I I I, I fought two two cases, and you know, two. I went through two hung juries in two years, man. And most of that I I spent in um, solitary confinement. I mean. You know, I went from solitary confinement to another building to another building back to solitary. I mean, it was it was kind of crazy, man. You know, I I I went through like every building on Rikers Island right. and back to the box. Right. You know, one of our co-hosts, uh, Premium Pete, is not here today, and he, and he's also somebody that that went through the system. And he talks, he doesn't glorify the system at all, the the the, the Rikers, but he always talks about Sundays was the best days because of the baked chicken. Yeah, but I wasn't eating. My, my, my dad was a vegetarian, <laughs> okay, so, so I, didn't, I didn't eat chicken, man. So you didn't know nothing about the bacon? <laughs> no, nah, I, I mean, I knew about it, but it wasn't a big thing. It wasn't right. big on, on my schedule. You know, right. you know, it wasn't big with me. Um, You know, I, I, I think back now, you know, they, they, at, at, in 1991, man, they opened up a new facility called Beacon, man. And um, I remember how people used to go crazy over that baked chicken. Right. We, we was like, you know, me and a couple of other Brothers was like first dudes to go in, first guys to go into that um that facility. Right, and, you know that baked chicken caused a lot of problems. Yeah, I, 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 from what I understand. <laughs> yeah. Um, so now is this the, they're they're coming at you a third time. Yeah, they're coming at me a third time. Um, and you go through this hell. Your and and your your family's going through this hell. Yeah, my family going through it. Um, you know they they're very disappointed. Uh, you know I'm getting ready to go through the third time. Um, and uh. You know, the, the the lawyer comes back. He said he talked to the DA. He, he's telling me he knows I didn't do it. He knows I didn't do it. And then he's saying, well, you know, I, I made a deal. Right. I'm like, what kind of deal? And uh, he tells me about this uh, this plea deal called uh, Alfred plea. But let me just rewind again. I think the things that got me through, you know, the time that that that, that I did is, is actually me. Um, 
I don't know if you meet Tayshana's mother, Chicken's mom. Yeah, so you so you meet your 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 wife. Yeah, basically. In pri- how, now, how'd you meet your wife? Um, in prison, man. That 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 goes back to the whole um phone slot time thing. Right. Um, there was a young man that was in there, a brother named um, Jim, and um he couldn't get on the phone, and I had walked by, you know, his uh his his um his locker because we was in the module back. That was when I was in the mod. I was on the four building. We, I walked by his lock and I see these pictures of his of his girlfriend, his mm-hmm. baby mother up there. And I'm like, yo, man, um, he's from Bed Style. I'm like, yo, man, you from the style, yeah. I'm like, I seen you. Why you don't use the phone? Oh, man, I can't get on the phone. I'm like, look, man, I got a little half an hour. I'll bust it down 15 minutes for you. But if your if your girlfriend has friends, you know, you could you could take what? 15 minutes, right? Your my time, you know, because. <laughs> At that particular time, you know, my 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 first babe, my first daughter's mother was like disgusted with, right? Me. Of course, you know, they was just like, "This cat, what is he doing? Right. He got all this potential, and look where he's at." Right. You know, and what ended up happening was, is um, I ended up getting on the phone and calling her, man, and she ended up coming to see me. And, Get the fuck out of here! And um, she came no, to see look, I gotta ask you, man, does this happen or is this rare? Like in terms of like the. I mean the, 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 the jailhouse hookup, man. I mean, I, I think I, I think it was um kind of rare because with, in my case because she ended up coming to see me. I ended up telling her, you know, you know, laying it to a flight, you know, what was going on with me, man. And then she ended up staying with me. Wow. At night, she came to see me in 1990, and she because it was it was before the first the first trial, right? And she ended up coming seeing me in 1990, and she stayed with me, man, for for for. That them both them trials. I mean, forever she's you know stayed with me through that whole situation, and she came three times a week, man. Wow! And started bringing her her, her son and her daughter. That's crazy to see man. me and um. That's a ama- that's amazing. In yeah, itself. that's that that's that's yeah that's a story in itself. Mm-hmm. Ended up bringing her son and daughter to come see me. Right. Her, um, my son was um because he's my son. You know, he was one years old at the time, right. and her daughter was like um, uh, seven eight months. Right. And uh, I ended up. I ended up taking them on like they was my own, man. Her daughter, well, my daughter, ended up walking to me in, in, in the visiting room in C95. So that was crazy, man. What was it about you that that, that made her fall in love with you, man? Was, mean, it, was it your game? Was it that you still had a reputation for being I, live? What was it, man? I don't think I was kicking game, man. Right. I just think that she understood that um, I didn't really want to be in that situation. Right. You know, I made some bad decisions. Um. You know, I, I prom. You know, I made a promise to her that you know when I got out of here, man, we was gonna be together, and you know, and and and, and I think she really, I made her laugh. You know, that was a which big is key. thing. That, that which I is made key. her laugh. Um, and 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 she seen the genuineness in me, man. She seen that I wasn't wasn't a bad person. I mean, I I think maybe my reputation on the street might have helped, right? Of course, <laughs> a of little course. bit. You know of what course. I mean? A little bit, but um, just 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 trying to be, just striving to be genuine, man. Right. But going back to this plea. This plea. So uh-huh. your 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 attorney convinces you to take this plea. Yeah, he convinced me to take the way he convinced me of taking a plea, man, is because he said this was an Alfred an Alfred plea, and uh, I asked him like, well, what is the what is what do you mean an Alfred plea? What does that mean? He said, um, it means you don't have to admit to any guilt, and um, but it's still a plea. Yeah, I you know at that particular time I wasn't even really paying it, you know, really kind of like weighing it out because I was like, I don't have to admit to no guilt. I, so I, I really felt like, oh, so I didn't do anything, so I don't have to admit to no guilt. Okay, cool. And I can get out, you know, 
in a, in, a, in a couple of months or whatever. I was like, okay, I got to weigh that out. Because he said, one thing he did say, he said, man, if they taking you back a third time, <laughs> you know, be, it's gonna be, be, a little, it's gonna, be a little worried. It's going to be a long time. Yeah, be a little worried. Right. Be a little worried about that. You right. know, they, that usually, that's really, that's really rare. Right. You know, so, I mean, I, I said, man, okay, you know, and I, I said, I'll take the plea, man. And you you had no idea what effect it would have on you. Oh, no, nah, man. Course. I mean, I didn't know that you still tagged with that, um, because I took the plea to manslaughter. Right. And, um, I didn't know that you, that, that, you still tagged with that. Don't nobody know nothing about it. Nobody didn't know anything about an Alfred plea. Right. You know, that's so rare that, you know, you got to really be within the system to understand what an Alfred plea is. So you go to employers and, you know, I get out and I go to employers and I say, you know, I, I write down manslaughter on my, on my application. <laughs> they, looking at, they looking at me like, yo, this guy crazy. He just yo. wrote down manslaughter. <laughs> I'm supposed to hire him. And then I write down Alfred plea and they like, What's that? What's what's I don't, alpha? I don't can't read that, yeah. but I can read bad yeah, slaughter. What is an alpha right. alpha plea? So it it was um it it, it was kind of bittersweet. Man. Right. Yeah. So you're with your lady. You're building your family. Mm-hmm. Um, you're having children. Yeah. Um, and it's very difficult for you to support your family. Yeah, I mean, it 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 was um yeah, <laughs> it was one job after another, man, and um. I had some good people in, in my corner that was, you know, had was doing um things that were legal. I had an uncle that was an engineer that uh took me under his wing, and I did a lot of construction work with him, um, before until he passed away, and then um you know it was it was job to job, but he he set me out pretty good because um I got a chance to do a be a concrete um inspector for quite some time, mm-hmm. but it was still a struggle, man. Right, right. It was definitely still a struggle. But 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 you you were determined. You said I'm I'm out of this game. Like I'm I'm free. You knew the price of freedom. Like you knew the worth of freedom. Yeah, I, know. I mean, <laughs> freedom is is more important than anything. Right. Man. You know your freedom, man. And um, and I didn't I didn't come from a, a shabby background, so it wasn't like um, it wasn't like uh, I was hurting in the street, right. man. You know, I was happy to be home. You had you had a family. You had, you and, had a, and I had a family. I mean um. But you had your family that raised you, and then you had a fa- you had a family I, waiting for you. I had a family. I had already made family right, already went, fam- yeah. waiting for me, and then um a year later after me getting home, man, I had my daughter, and my daughter was like my sunshine, man. She, you know, when once I looked at her, man, and looked at looked in her eyes, man, it was like it was just a a new beginning for right. me. So let's 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 go into this next phase, man. So now you're uh, uh you're a dedicated family man. You're raising children, uh, Tayshana. Yeah, what, what was she the middle child? Was she the youngest? No, Tayshawn, she was um the youngest girl. Right, she was the youngest you know, girl. I out came, of five kids. Out of five, I right. came I came home, you know, with my oldest daughter that I had from a previous relationship, and um, two um, you know, two two um children that I took on from being inside, and then um a year later after me being home, I had in '93 I had Tayshawna. Right, and um Tayshawna man was um. That that was a day that that I'll never forget. I went out with um my best friend, man, God God rest his soul, Chris Pringle. He's another another brother that he took me out there. He was into the music industry. I know the name. I know the name. Yeah, Chris took me out. That's like my that's one of my best friends, man. He took me out to to um to Sweetwaters. Sweetwaters. Yeah, because he had a he had a um. He actually had a, a, a that was that was the spot, man. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm an escape at that spot with him. Okay, 
You know, he actually had to act Kenny Tillman, young man Kenny Tillman, and right. we we hung out while while my while my my girl was in labor because they well she wasn't in labor because she had a, she had a C section. Right. So you know, the next day we knew that chicken was gonna be born. So I told her, look, I'm going to hang out the fellas. Right, I'll be here in the morning for the procedure. I mean, that didn't blow over too well, of but. You know, it, you know. After that, man, and we had, and after we had to, after we had Tayshana, man, I party for like a week, man. Right. Just, just, you know, just being happy to be home, and you know, beautiful little same girl. life, and 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 you having this freedom to really, regardless of what the obstacles are, contribute to your family. Be yeah, there for definitely, your family. definitely, definitely. That was that was that was the main thing. Right. You know, I want I want to talk about this 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 stereotype that they have, uh, particularly with regard to black men as as parents. Um, I'm a father of four, um, married, going on 19 years, love my kids, will do anything for my kids, very committed to my kids, and, and, I, and I get the sense that, that you're the same thing. Um, but there's this misconception that, 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 that black men really don't take care of their kids, when it seems like we have to go over hell and high water just to really provide for our kids. I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of things that, that, that get, get, get in the way. Right. At times, you know, I was separated from my oldest, my old, my previous relationship, and then, you know, you know, child support plays a part, yes. and different things coming. And money is always drama. And money is always drama, and then you know you have a new relationship. And it's our something. ego. We still got the ego. Yeah, that too. I mean, we play into it. Right. I think we play into it more or less. But um, you know, I don't think that it was it was the type of thing that you know with me. I can only speak about me that. I wanted to be away from my my children. Right. I never wanted to be away from right. my children. I mean, my children were my my pride and joy. Right. You know. So growing up, now Tayshana starts exhibiting skills that you had. Whoa, man! I mean, <laughs> as, a, as, a, as a teenager, she starts playing. She starts picking up the basketball. She put, at, at three years old, right? Three years old, right? We we're out in um East New York. You know, we was living in Cypress Hills, and uh. The first time I seen her dribble, and she was three, and she kept dribbling up and down the hallway. We kept hearing, I think me and her mother was in the room, and we kept hearing our son say, chicken got my ball, because we used to call her chicken, because when she was born, you know, I, I used to eat a lot of chicken. Because you were yummy. Yeah, I used, to, <laughs> I used to eat a lot of chicken, man. Back then, I mean, around that time, they ain't call me yummy no more, but I ate a lot right, of chicken. Right, right. My girl used to call me um. Frank Purdue. Okay. Like, oh, you want chicken? Every time you want, you know, chicken cutlet, chicken cacciatore, chicken this, chicken that. You know, I was a chicken wing. Chicken wing. So, I mean, um, you know, Tayshana, you know, we used, Bobby used to say, that's a brother, you know, older brother used to say, chicken got my ball, chicken got my ball, because we ended up naming my daughter chicken because of my love for chicken. Right. And uh, I actually was chicken wings. And right. show so you chicken. really... Showed how much you love him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was that was like that was like I bestowed a gift on her, saying calling her chicken wings because that was my favorite. You know, that was one of my favorites. And um, we used to hear um them arguing. Her and my oldest son. Oh, Bobby took my ball. Bobby took. I mean, chicken took my ball. Chicken took my ball. Bobby, chicken took my ball. And uh, she used to just dribble the ball up and down the hallway. And I'm like, oh, give your brother back the ball. Stop, right. stop dribbling that ball. Just. Be cool. And my mother used to tell her, oh, that's for boys. And she's like, no, mommy, you know, girls can play back. You know, girls can play with the ball, too. And we never thought nothing of it. We just was like, okay, you know. And then as she got older, man, you know, I started looking, you know, taking her out to the park with me. And uh, I would look over to the side, and she'd be like, daddy, look what I could do. And 
let me fat, let me back up because one of the older brothers, we was out playing a pickup game, and then we finished the game, and I was talking to one of the older brothers, uh, my man Hurt, and and Hurt kept saying, "Whose little girl is this? Whose little girl is this?" She had to be like five or six years old, mm. and um, I'm just talking to him, and I don't know what you know. I'm like, "What you talking about?" You know, he like, "Look, look, look," and I turn around and look, and it was chicken, mm. and she's playing with some boys a little older than her, ten, eleven, and she going between the legs. She has a handle shooting. Where did she get that from? Like, I mean, other than other than genetics or whatever, man. You call it. I'm gonna be honest with you, man. I see after that day, I used to watch. Uh, she used to watch, you know, pickup games with me and my family. My whole family ballers. We all play, and um, you know, and all the guys in my neighborhood play. And she used to just look and say, "Daddy, look what I could do. I could do that." Mm. And I'd be like, "What you could do? You could do what? You put it between your legs? Yeah, look at this." And she would start patting it between the legs, and I'm like. Well, where you learn that from? Oh, I watched. I watched. Wow. So, so she was a nat. She was really a natural. Yeah, that was a gift, man. Right. That was a gift. Right. You know? And then, do you now start fostering her to, to to really focus on her on her on her game and 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 encourage her and get her in, involved in activities and everything? Well, I mean, at that particular time, we had moved out to Queensbridge, mm-hmm. and we was going back and forth to the old hood and I, old neighborhood. And I had I have to um say that. It, it was it was quite a few people that forced to that and actually you know um because she was always on the basketball court mm-hmm. you know playing boys playing boys but uh, somebody that took interest is another we call him her godfather as well Kasim Alston he mm-hmm. took an interest in uh, our families grew up together in, in Queensbridge you know because they they were there in the fifties as well and um he took an interest in uh in how to started to play with the boys and um. They ended up going. She ended up playing with Triple Threat. With, Triple Threat, which was um uh, organization that Ron Artest actually um um funded. Right now, so she's like her skills are starting to be recognized. Oh, definitely, Most and, definitely. And, and and she's she's playing now on the school teams, varsity, and the whole nine. Well, actually, that first year, man, she played on the JV team because her godfather actually became the JV coach. Wow. Of, um, of um Bishop Lachlan. Okay, so she and played he, for Lachlan, and he was trying to like you know build the organize build the, that organization up that basketball program up around her. And that first year, man, they went um twelve and 0, 12 and oh. They would have been undefeated. They went twelve and oh, won a championship. They would have been undefeated, but she had an asthma attack. Things people don't know as well as Tayshana played ball. She had chronic asthma, mm. so she would lay it all out on the court. And then that night, we being um. You know, Elmhurst Hospital right. half the night, or, right. or for, and sometimes even for two days, wow. just nursing her back to health. Right. But we couldn't keep her off the court. It was her passion. Yeah, we couldn't keep her off. Um, the court. ESPN had her listed as one of the, as one of the sixteenth, the sixteenth best <laughs> female basketball point guard in, in the nation. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's only five positions in, in basketball, right. so that means she had to be in the top hundred, right? Top eighty, right? You know. Um, Tell us about the, the the Nike Rose Classic where she had a, she had a torn ACL. Like tell her, because I wanted just how how great she was. Yo, she she had went through a whole year of um not playing, right? Because uh, she tore ACL and she couldn't play. Actually, had she had transferred to another school, which was Mary Bertram. Bertram was a powerhouse back then. You know they Bertram they they, they were like thirteen and old. Right. And she tore ACL, and uh, she actually uh you know was. Get, I nursed her back to health, taking her to all the doctor's appointments and things of that nature. And um, she ended up going to Rose Classic. Um, Rose Classic right now has about 60 teams playing mm-hmm. in it, man. It's a very prestigious um, uh, tournament in Brooklyn. And uh, she goes to the Rose Classic. I didn't know. Somebody called me and said, yo, chicken look like she getting ready to suit up. 
And I don't live too far. Well, I don't stay too far. At that time, I wasn't staying too far from the Rose. Right. So I ended up going to the gym, and I see her get ready to get on the court. I'm like, what you doing? Because she's supposed to be getting fitted for a sleeve the next day. Right. Um, she's like, oh, please, let me, you know, I'm going to play. I'm good. Don't worry. Don't worry. I said, man, go ahead. And, man, she got on the court. That was that was her first game back, man. She got on the court and put up 30, man. 30 points. It was incredible, man. It's on YouTube, man. Right. You, the people, you check it out anytime you want, man. Chica's last game, man. It was incredible. Who, who, who did she pattern her game after? Was she, was she, was she like Iverson? Was she? I mean, she was a mix of a lot of guards, man. Because right. she can, she could change it up, man. She, she could score. She was very unselfish. You know, there was games I'd be like, man, keep going, man, go. She like, man, pop, I got a team. You know, she was a team player. So, I mean, her crossover was ridiculous, man. Straight out of um, New York City playgrounds. I mean, just awesome, man. I mean, something that you know you couldn't do anything with a shot. I mean, she was, you know. She, the truth, man. Right. Just the truth. And you seeing like like you really seeing your family seeing hoop dreams like she's she's about to she's about to go. Definitely, definitely, definitely. I was more I was more um concerned with um keeping her head keeping her grounded. Right. You know. My thing was like more or less like, look, man, you still gotta clean your room, mm -hmm. still gotta wash the dishes. Mm -hmm. Don't let your mother call me about no no nonsense. Right. You know, you still have there's certain things that you have to do. Right. And um I was pretty stern on her, you know. At the time, very and, stern. And she was, she was she was she was living in, in Harlem at the time. At the she time. was she was living in Harlem at the time. I mean, you know, and um, you know, I would go get her, and and, and basically, I mean, like I said, for a whole year, I had been nursing her back to health. Right. So, and that was that was like, that was that was deep too, man. Because just looking at her, you know, she was so depressed, not being able to play ball. You right. talking about a little girl that when she um finished um. When she graduated from public school, man, she ran on the court with a with a dress on to play basketball. You know what I'm saying? So, it was it, that was just a passion, man. Right. So for her not to be able to play for a year, it was like, man, look, you know, the world was over. But I just what, what's what's life without without basketball? Yeah, but I, and she had the tattoo, man. It's not a game. It's my life. I know a lot of girls patting that tattoo down, but right. but that was her thing. You know, this was her life. This this wasn't a game to her. This was something that this is what I do. Right. You know, so. But um, yeah, man. I mean, <laughs> she was something else on that court. Walk the audience through what happened on September tenth, twenty eleventh, man. September tenth, September tenth, twenty eleven. Uh, I had left from uptown in the afternoon. It might have been late morning, early afternoon. Told him I'd be back because I had been up there that night, and uh, I ended up going to Brooklyn and coming back and heard that from the grapevine that they had some, there was some scouts that was, well, VCU was already looking at it and a bunch of other different scouts were looking at it, but I heard that there were some scouts from Tennessee that wanted to see her play. And um, I thought that was a great, you know, big thing, great opportunity. So I went back uptown to actually tell her that, you know, these, these scouts wanted to, wanted to watch, you know, come and see you play. And uh, that, 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 that year, we was going into her senior year. It had been two days into her senior year. And uh, I told I walked by her, and she was sitting on the bench, and I told her, I said, look, man, I need to talk to you. Please come upstairs. Man. I need to talk to you. And I ended up going upstairs. I had just previously um, was in a car accident before her 18th birthday. Actually, I was on the accident. Her 18th birthday was the May 4th. I was in an accident May 3rd. So I went upstairs, and actually my back was bothering me, and, you know, but 
I went upstairs and there was a lot of things happening in the street while I was upstairs, a lot of fighting. There was different things going on, but I didn't really know the dynamics of what was happening there. I came downstairs a couple of times to look for her, but I didn't actually see her and went back upstairs, ended up popping some painkillers and going to sleep. You know, I ended up falling asleep, waiting in the room, waiting for her to come, you know, back into the house so I could tell her the good news. Um, uh, fell asleep and the next thing I knew, it was like four, four in the morning. Um, I think she had told her mother she was going out to a party or she was going out to do something and hang out with some friends. It was like four in the morning. My, my son runs in, 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 in the door and says, uh, chicken got shot. Mm-hmm. So automatically, you know, I, I jump up. And my eyes open up wide and, I get, I, you know, I'm laboring because my back is still messed up. I shoot down the stairs, but mostly everybody else was out of the out of the out of the door already. You know, I'm still trying to gather what I heard. I shoot out the door, run down ten flights of stairs, and um, look in the hallway, man, and my daughter's laying there in a pool of blood. You know, so I mean, it, and then my older daughter's sitting there holding her, you know, with blood all on her, and it's just a whole lot of commotion, man. Right. People yelling, screaming, call nine one one. It was it was just crazy. Man. It was just. Crazy scene, man. It was, it was, it was something surreal, man. I couldn't believe what was, what, what had happened. You know, like, how did this happen? That was my whole attitude. I ended up um, going downstairs to the lobby to see if I seen anybody. Uh, and ended up, you know, when I seen her upstairs, I knew it was, it wasn't good. Right. You know, I've been around enough to know when you see that much blood. And, and, and it, she was it, not responsive. Right? Not responsive, you know. I knew it wasn't good, so I went downstairs, looked around, and uh, ended up. I remember going back upstairs for a minute, and she wasn't breathing. Man. I ended up going back downstairs and just sitting. Man, I just I was in a fog, a haze. Man. I couldn't believe it just happened. And she never got the news that no. that you wanted to share with. No, no, no. You know, let, let's go to a break. Right. Let's go to a break. Internet, you tune into the Combat Jack Show, the Combat Jack Show. dot com. Internets, this portion of the Combat Jack Show is brought to you by Bevel, the superior shaving system designed for people with coarse curly hair. Let me tell you something, man. I said this earlier in the pre-roll. I was insulted. I was approached recently by one of these other, like, you know, uh, you subscribe to these, like, razor blades and stuff, and they wanted to give me money. You know, I need money. I got four kids. I got tuitionals and, 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 and mortgage, mortgage, what what, what, what Morgationals and you know what I'm saying I got all types of obligations. I need that money, but I was like, "Yo, get on the fuck out of here! Don't come to me to betray my people and sell them out on the river for some shillings when I'm really selling them a superior product." I really mean this. I mean, I'll take a polygraph, a lie detector test, whatever it is. Listen, you could damn near torture me to tell the truth, man. Except for that waterboard shit, whatever the fuck. Listen. I fucks with Bevel. Bevel is a superior shaving system designed for people that look like you, 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 you and me. Holiday season is coming up. This looks great under your Christmas tree for Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, whatever hell holiday you subscribe to. Go to GetBevel.com. And if you go to GetBevel.com right now and punch in the promo code COMBAT, C-O-M-B-A-T, you get 20% off all your purchases. Listen, ladies, 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 this is a perfect gift. For your significant other and your relatives, your uncles, your pops, your uncles, your grandfathers, whatever, whatnot, that got that coarse curly hair. 
Go to GetBevel.com, punch in the promo code C-O-M-B-A-T, get that 20% off your purchases, tell them Combat sent you. Shave like a boss, and now back to the show. Internet, you tune into the Combat Jack Show, the CombatJackShow.com. Taylan, man, you, 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 you see your daughter who has so much hope and so much promise and so much recognition um, get cut down at such an early age, man. Um, and you also see the effect that she had amongst her peers and, and, and her community. I, I, from what I understand, over 3,000 people man, her, her, her funeral, came man. out to her funeral. Yeah, her, her wake and her funeral, you know, between both days, man, you know, the wake was about 3,000 people, man. The funeral might have been about another 1,500, 2,000 people because we had to shut the doors early mm. for the funeral at 11 o'clock. We wasn't letting nobody else in. And um, there was a lot of media attention on the case, so right. there was a lot of cameras and... Uh, news trucks and things of that nature because they seen what happened the night before. You know, we weren't ready for the night before. You know, I came out I came out the funeral parlor. It was people lined up, you know, it was four in a row and then the, the line was wrapped around two corners, mm. you know, and, and police didn't even want to kind of deal with the situation because right. they weren't prepared. And we didn't have it in Harlem. We had it in, out in the story thinking that it was going to be somewhat different. You know, didn't having it in Harlem, you know, and <laughs> they, you know, the, the public and the people fooled us, man, you know. But to see all the love, man, it was amazing. Right. It was amazing. You know, when we lose a, a loved one, sometimes the, 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 the most comforting thing is the process of um, preparing for them to, you know, to be buried or, you know, whatever funeral process or procedures that we go through. And then after that, man, that's when you're alone. After everybody's gone, that's when you're alone, man. And and the range of emotion, for, for, of course, the, 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 the sorrow that you, that never goes away. But then the, 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 the desire for vengeance. Man. I mean, I, I was, <laughs> I was beyond angry, but right. um, I'm going to be honest with you. When I, when I seen all them people come out, you know, my thoughts, like I said, everything is a process. And I think to see all them people come out them two days, it started to weigh on me. It started to say, I started to say, like, started to look at it like, there's a lot of energy out here, man. Right. And um, and when I talk about 3,000 people, I thought, I'm talking about people flew in from other states. Wow. Um, the people that um, treated her, like at different hospitals, St. Luke, New York Presbyterian, where she had, um, she had a surgery on her leg. They came out. I mean, um, dignity. I mean, people in government, people in city hall. I mean, it, it was it was bananas, man. Some people they couldn't get in. Some people said, "Yeah, I came by," but right. it was crazy out there. I couldn't couldn't get in. And I mean, to see that, to see that type of love for an individual, especially an eighteen year old, you at know, such a such a early age, at a early such an early age. I, I mean, I looked at that crowd. And I said. Man, maybe I need to do, maybe I need to be thinking a little different and maybe right. I need to do something a little different, man, right. because it's a lot of lives out here, man, and, and, and it's a lot of hurt out here. And, 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 you know, when you got lives like, when you got people hurting like that <laughs> and you got that many people around, you know, you, it, it, it tends to make you think a little bit. You know, I don't know about anybody else. You know, I felt the pain of losing my daughter, of course, man. I feel the pain now. I'm right. crying every day. I'm crying while I'm doing this interview, right. you know, but, um, just the magnitude of, of 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 the people that cared about her and loved her and and and, and came to show you know 
you know, their respect and, 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 and adoration for it, it. It made me say like, yo, man, I, I, I got to weigh this a little bit, you know. So even you were learning a lesson. Anger. You were learning a lesson even in that experience from, from your daughter. Yeah, basically, man. I mean, I, you know. People walking up to me saying, it's me and my me and her mother and saying to us, yo, you you y'all raised her right. Y'all wow. must have raised her right because um for eighteen year old to get that much love, you know, just from around the country is like amazing, you know. And I, at one time I thought it was, you know, just the way she went, that, you know, people felt bad and felt sorry. But I mean, these people really I mean, these young people loved her, man. They really loved her and her daughter. So you know, it was, it was something to weigh out. It, it, it was something that was working on my mind, working on my spirit, you know. And, and, and you know, the, the day after, which was her burial, after her burial, looking at the pain in them young people's faces, man, I had to go ahead and um, really speak to them. Right. And, you know, tell them that, you know, we have to do things a little different. Right. You know, even if I didn't all the way believe that at the time, because I still was wanted to see these guys get caught, and right. I still wanted to, you know... Maybe even at that time, see, see them go through some suffering. Yeah, right. maybe even at that time, put some hands and feet on them. Of you course, know, but um, you know, I, I, you know, I, I chose to tell these young people, man, let's like, let's, let's, let's look at this in a different way, man. Right. Let's, 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 let's use this energy for something else. Let's try to, let's try to save more lives. I was saying things that I couldn't, I didn't even believe that I would be <laughs> saying. Were you, you believing? Know? The things you were saying at the time, though? Or? I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. It was so surreal, right. what was going on. Out of body. And it, it definitely, definitely, definitely. Because I was saying things like, you know, I, I said, I, I had said one one sentence that I remember because, you know, people tell me about it. I was I was like, man, if, if Tayshaun is the um, physical demise, you know, saves 10, you know, 10,000, 20,000, 30,000 people, you know, then, then, you know, so be it, you right. know? And I'm... I think about that now, and I look at the tape because, you know, we got a little trailer coming right, out, right. and I look at it now, and I say, wow, I said that? Like, <laughs> what was I thinking? You know, at that time, right. like, what was I thinking? But, um, you know, I think I was getting changed and morphed into somebody else at right. that time. You know, that was, that was, her transition was my, my birth of what I think I was supposed to be doing. Your rebirth. My rebirth, yes, right. exactly. And are you also, like, conscious of, the cycles, we talk about cycles, we were talking about this off-air, about the cycles, about the cycles that you had to go through and as hard as you really fought or thought you were fighting to break this, the cycle of, of, of violence and, 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 and criminality and, and the whole nine, were you seeing a cycle in your life? I, I was, I'm definitely seeing a cycle, man. Right. I mean, I'm still seeing a cycle in my life now. Right. But um, I think it was more like, it, it it was a destiny being played out and, 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 and learning how to, um, the beginning of learning how to lead by example, right. which a lot of us don't do. You know, we say don't do this, don't do that, but we don't oh, we're, lead we're, by. We're the greatest we, country yeah, pointing fingers. We're, we're, we're hypocrites in, right. in that course. sense. Of course. So I think that was just, like I said, it was like a rebirth, like you said, and it, it, it was like a new beginning. And, and I could feel my daughter do all this stuff. And, I, and even now, I could, you know, at times, I you know, I, I get these feelings that I could feel her. Right. You know, so I, I knew that, what I was saying was something that was supposed to be said. Right. You know? But of course, you know, there's, there's reality now and, and there's closure and uh, the, 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 the killers, you find out where the killers are and you're, 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 you're expecting to see, what are you expecting? Man, I was expecting to see some real gangsters, right. you know, real, um, you know, guys with scars on their face, you know, buck fifties and been through some things and real, some hardcore animals and, 
that wasn't the case, man. What What did you see when when, man, when How I'm, were you presented with with with, with seeing these? And when, when 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 they was showing them on the news, it kind of looked maybe it was the anxiety of wanting them to get you know where these guys at. You know, you better catch them before I catch them, or you better get them before I get them. And was but, the word out like 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 yo? I mean, <laughs> I mean, you know, without don't snitch on yourself, but was I'm, the word out like yo? I mean, um. I had a friend of mine that was in South Carolina, right. and he actually uh, said, "Yo, man, send me a pic. You know, send me something. Send me a picture, man. Of these dudes, usually dudes run down here, right. guys run down here." And uh, I sent him a picture uh, uh, from the one the one pool. I want a link. Actually, it was a link. And he said, "Yo, man." Day later, he told me, "Yo, man, I, I think I see these guys are down here, man. Oh, Somebody man. told me these guys are down here." And I was like, "Man, dude, man, stop playing with me, man. Dudes, he like, man, they down here, man. I think you." And that whole night, man, I contemplated on, you know, not even contemplated. I'm like, man, listen, man, I, you know, I weighing things out, you know, because I ain't weighed things out my whole life. Right. I just ran and did stuff and <laughs> right, reacted. Right, 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 so right. I had to, like, sit back and say, look, man, well, well I just told these kids this and, you know, because it was. It but was I like, got them right now. I got them. Yeah, it, it, it was rough, man. Right. It was rough. And then I woke up that morning, man, and, uh, you know, um, they had been um, apprehended. Wow. Man, wow. Man, Right. Been, in, in South Carolina. In South Carolina. Yeah. Columbia, actually. And they, they, they brought him back up here. They extradited. Extra, extradited him. And, and when I first seen these cats, man, they was like, these, these, these young men, man, these individuals, young individuals, man, they, they had baby faces, right. man, little guys in stature. You know, I really wanted to, they, they look like they just needed spanking, right. old-fashioned spanking. I mean, I wanted to take my belt off and just spank them, man, but, you know... I was really more moved. I was kind of moved by, like, what's going on here, man? You got little guys like this killing women, you know, and just, you know, this is what they do. And because now their lives are fucked up. Yeah, I was, trying to, I was trying to really rationalize with something that was just so irrational, you know? It was very irrational. You know, and, and also during this transition or during this period, um, you get a, a visit from this, 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 this man, uh, Hakeem Yamadi. Oh man, that was my big brother, man. Hakeem came through. Did you know Hakeem? No, not at all. Right. Not at all. He, he came was, through your home. He came to my home with, with with maybe like fifteen guys from the Circle of Brothers, man. Right. An organization called. It was organ. It was organ. Excuse me. It was an organization called the Circle of Brothers, but it, it entailed the Zulu Nation. Wow. Um. The the, the FOI, um. The Nation of Gods and Earths, um. Quite a few organ, uh, new. There's quite a few organizations that that came came and actually um sat with me and um they were like grassroots grassroots organization put together. I mean, there was other organizations that reached out. Um, you know, the Urban League mm -hmm. and other organizations that reached out, but they were like grassroots and they were like really on the ground. Um, um, from my understanding, what Hakeem explained to me that they was on the ground actually striving to fight gun violence in the communities. And and. Had some of them gone through the same? Hakeem, actually. Went through the same circle? Hakeem went through the same thing um, 10 years before my daughter, I believe. Uh, ten year, his, son, he, his son was killed a day and 10 years before my daughter was killed. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So he had a connection with me f just from that alone, you know, because he said, man, I just went through the anniversary yesterday and my son being killed. And that kind of caught my, caught my attention. And uh, I told him, you know, right then and there, I said, yo, look, man. You know, when this thing is over, I mean, I told him, actually, I told him, man, drop me off in Vietnam, you know. And they looked at me like, drop you off in Vietnam. And I mean, I was I was kind of, that was the analogy of how our communities were. Right. You know, 
Drop me off in the hottest zone. Yeah, drop me off wherever, man. And, I, and, and I'll, I'll survive. I'll change the environment. Right. Man. So I already had it in me to go out there and um, actually be a part of what they would do. But now you have the support. Oh, yeah. Now you have the support. Definitely. Group. And and you find yourself now going to visit other families. Oh, man. I, that that have gone through the same situation. Yeah, definitely, man. Definitely. I mean, and it, and it was, um, you know, I think it was like a few weeks later, man. I went to visit... um. I went to to the site where um Zerana Horton was killed, and Zerana Horton was killed out in um in Brownsville when she tried to she tried, she shielded some her, her her children and some other young children from some gunfire from right? gunfire right. you know out in out in um out in Brownsville, and I was the fr- one of the first places I went, and then man it just it just kept going right it kept going I kept um responding to different um families that that ended up that you're hearing in the news that, that well i mean a lot of some of them i was hearing in the news but you know at that time with the circle of brothers and some of the other brothers that came around me uh they were actually um on the ground doing this kind of work where they would hear it you know and i had i had links to the street man right. where things go on you know from being able to go in every neighborhood i had different links that people would call yo you heard about this and then i just felt compelled to show up you know um what does it do for you when you talk to another family that's in such unbearable pain that you've been through, man? I mean, I think I think it was it was therapeutic in a way to 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 like let people know that you know somebody's out there that been through it and and, and is still going through it because this is this is something that you know this this healing process it, it goes on forever it doesn't it doesn't stop today and uh, I think they 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 really um took to me because the genuineness, you know, when I, when I was telling them like, you know, I'm, I'm chicken's dad, you know, I walk up on, on, on a family or on an individual and say, yeah, my daughter was Tayshana. They looking at me like, what? You know, at that time it was like not even, um, not even a year, not right. even six months, right. not even. So they looking like, what are you, is this? What are you doing out here? You're yeah, supposed to be grieving. Like, yeah, this guy, I crazy. This crazy. Right. But that was my way of grieving. You know, everybody, everybody has a different way of grieving. Right. I just, I just, you know, I, I had a special way of grieving. Right. My grieving was to go out and help people and try to help my neighborhood and get in, get involved to kind of change the climate of what climate of what was going on. Right. But you also realize that something's not right with you in terms of the trauma that you had been through from incarceration oh, to getting shot almost to being definitely. on the streets almost to losing de- your daughter. Almost definitely. Most definitely. Um, I went out and um actually went and, and got a therapist. What? What? Where did you get that seed from? Because you and I know as black men, that's not what we do. Well, I mean, you know, Hakeem was one reason. You know, he Hakeem talked to me a lot. And um, Hakeem was pretty impressed because he didn't think I was listening to him. And um, I said, man, you know, he keep talking about He wasn't really directing it. He was indirectly saying, you know, you can come help and talk. I said, man, I need all the help I can get. Right. So I said, let, let me go to a therapist. Let me go talk to somebody, you know, and then understanding, too, you know, I was sitting up at night and I was understand reading a lot and understanding, too, that sometimes <laughs> the best therapist, not even sometimes, the best therapist, the best psychologist, like, you know, the best people that are in that field have therapists of their own. Right. Of course. Because you're taking on the burden of so many other people's things. You that know? has that has that has a psychic effect. Exactly. Right. But I had to release and learn how to embrace all that was going on. You know, at that time, to be able to still go out there and actually proceed and doing what I was what I was doing, people thought I was crazy. Right? People was like, "Yo, this guy crazy. He got to be nuts. Sit down and go relax. What are you doing?" Right. But I think now, at this point, you know, and 
with with a lot of the things that I have done, they see that I'm not crazy. I'm just a man that's on a mission. Right, of course. Um, talk about the effect of the passing of your daughter to your son. Ah, oh, man, you know, um, you know, it's, it's hard on him. Man. Sixteen years old was hard on him. That was his big sister. They, they was real close, right? Man. You know, a lot of things was unfounded that, you know, the media does when they start looking for reasons why things happen and not looking at the core. So it was a lot, it was a lot going on with him. man. And as hard as it is to um, get adults, adult males to go get help, it's extra hard for young males. Of course. So from from what I seen with him, man, he would self-sedate himself. That's what. How he kind of dealt like self medicating himself. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just, just tuning out to, to what's going on. Yeah, because um, you know, it was hard, man. My whole family was there. Right, that happened, man. My whole family was there. Um, we all seen that, so it, it, it affected all of us in different ways. You know, this remarkable thing happens, man, because you're now following the the, the trial of these these young men that killed your daughter. Mm-hmm. Um, and as you as you're going through this you realize the the backdrop of what had happened you realize that that the the, the houses that 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 your daughter lived in grant the grant houses right there was a feud with the manhattanville houses yeah <laughs> and and they were caught the kids were caught up not necessarily your daughter but the kids from each of those houses were caught up in a feud that dated back to 1972 in 1972 Right. 1972, a young man named Eli Haynes was killed in 72. And uh, this sparked kind of like an off-and-on rivalry for who? Well, I mean, it's a war. It's not a rivalry. It's a war now because we're talking a couple of generations. Yeah, you know, it just just escalated. It got worse, 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 you know. It just just became a cycle, a vicious cycle. And you realize and you're able to, to put the pieces together about what kind of transpired yeah that it, it, but you know that that was crazy man putting them pieces together because i was like you know if this happened in this young man in 1972 man they should have had trauma teams out here to right. deal with this issue and um coming to this community and heal this this community what's going on right you know what's really going on and it made me start thinking about the neighborhood in general you know things that were that i've heard that were going on in the neighborhood you got to remember my daughter was a she was a, a, a national ranked basketball player. So I was going in there getting her, and we was off somewhere else. Without know? even being having time to, to study what was going, going on, on right. going on around us. Right. And, and when I found out the, the the dynamics of everything, it was crazy. Right. Jennifer, how you doing? Thank, thanks for being so patient about this. <laughs> um, in your article, you talk about uh, how 20% of the shootings in New York City occurring housing projects, despite making up only 5% of the city's population. Yeah, I think it's almost 20%, and, and uh, but fewer than, as you said, fewer than 5% of uh, the residents in New York City live in public housing. So it's it's a small concentration of a community that's that's kind of trapped under these conditions. Definitely, and one of the things that uh, Taylon talks about a lot and what I really learned from spending time with him is the way that concentration affects everyone so it's you know everyone seems to know multiple people that have been shot whereas you know in other parts of new york city 
nobody, you know, plenty of people know nobody who's ever been shot. Right. You hear about it on 1010 Wins, but yeah, I don't right. know. Right. It's, it's, you know, it's one paragraph in the Daily News, if that, and then people move on or they're not paying attention. And um, the media has long since, you know, stopped paying attention to, to a lot of these shootings. But, but the, so the ripple effects of trauma are, I think, mind-blowing for people that, you know, are living in, in the other New York. Uh, Taylan, man, one, one, of, one of the craziest things that happens, though, during this process is you get to meet the mother of your son's killer. Me, though. I mean, you know, there was two mothers there. Right. There was two mothers there um, during that time, and uh, that was the first trial. Because we went through two trials. Right, so two that trials. was the first trial. Right. And there was two mothers there. And um, I, I used to see the mothers go back and forth to the bathroom, you know, try getting themselves together, getting themselves composed. You know, I ended up talking to one mother with Stacy Collins. Her son was acquitted on the charge of giving the gun to the other young individuals. And uh, I remember her friend came to court. I think her friend was named Yvette, came to court and was like, Miss Collins wants to give you a hug. Mm. And I was like, Miss Collins wants to give me a hug. What are you talking about? You know, but something in me said, all right, man. Because right. I, I used to see them come out with, you know, they they were so um remorseful. Right. And, and, and in disbelief. Like, and in such such pain themselves. Yeah, and saying, like, how how did my son or, you know, how was my son involved in this? And I said, all right, she can come give me a hug. You know, the other um, mother, Miss Anita Brockington, wasn't there that day. Right. You know, because she was coming off and on because she couldn't really take it. Right. And, uh. Stacy gave me a hug, and uh, we got to we got to talking a little bit. And uh, was there any resentment in the conversation that you? I, it, the way she came to me was was it was kind of bizarre, man, because I could feel like she was really remorseful for right. what happened. And uh, I told her, man, when you know before this whole thing is over, you know, and I was during the deliberations that we we were gonna do something special, right. not knowing at that time, uh, my partner whose brother was killed in 1972, Derrick Haynes, was had already been talking to Anita Brockington. Right. You know, so it was just, it was, it was just crazy how it happened. Like I said, this whole thing is surreal, you know, and just so surreal. And he had been already talking to Anita. But I do remember one time him coming to me when I had a, a birthday vigil for my daughter. It was the first year. And he said, man, if, if I could get you both, you and the, the mother together, you know, he kind of planted a seed with right. the other mother that right. I embraced because he said, if I could get you and the mother together, would you do it? And I looked and, you know, I had about 300 kids in front of the building. And uh, I had some of, my, some of my boys with me. And I said, man, y'all, I said, where you from, man? What are you talking about? He said, I'm from Manhattanville. And I just looked at him. I told my boys, man, watch this dude. Because <laughs> he was, he was, yeah, yeah, watch this guy. I don't know what he this was guy from the other was, side. This right. guy talking crazy. Right. Talking about come, you know, because the concept was crazy. He, like, embrace this mother. Like, right. what's this dude talking about? Like, you watch Fuck this guy. Yeah, watch this guy, man. Right. And, um, uh, and you were serious. Yeah, very serious. Right. But after I seen what was going on, I was before the first trial, but after right. I seen what was going on in the trial, and you know, during the trial, and seeing, you know, how senseless this thing was, and you know, seeing what they were, you know, you know, I was looking across the aisle and I, it was remorse there. Right. So it was it was something that, you know, made me actually, you know, say, yo, let me talk to the other mother and right. then I'll talk to the other mother when she, however, you know, whatever happened. When you when you meet Anita Brocken, Brocken, Brockington, what is the conversation like? Oh, man, she she did pretty much the same thing the other mother did, man. She embraced me and said, you know, I'm, you know, I'm sorry for your loss, man. You know, you know. You know, I'm sorry for the loss, man. She was, she was really, um, she was out of it, man. Mm. 
she was out of it. You could tell she hadn't been sleeping, eating. You know, she was, she was like, man, look, any, I don't even know what to say to you. Right. You know, and and you in turn embrace her. Like you 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 have empathy for her for her suffering. Yeah, I embraced it because I, I was already in the main in, in in building a mainframe for a different type of um initiative to take out into the community right. for for people to see something different. You know. I was thinking, I was, I was feeling like you gotta go against the cycle, break a cycle. Right. So and um, and going against the cycle means doing things that might not that that goes against your your general sense of uh, common sense. I don't think that. I think it was just uh, thinking outside the box. Right. Thinking outside the box and seeing that. Um. I did a lot of thinking because I did a lot of staying up at night. You know, and uh, thinking outside the box and thinking about what 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 would be so impactful and so shocking. That people would under, really understand that you know it's serious what I'm what, what we're striving to do out right. here. So you start talking to to, to, to Anita mm-hmm. about healing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I come up with a concept called both sides of the gun. Both sides of the gun. Tell us about this. Well, both sides of the gun is actually uh, an initiative that uh, speaks to the speaks about how everybody is affected by gun violence, how how um or senseless violence, so to speak, how the community is affected. How um the 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 families of the victim victim is affected. How the the perpetrator's family is affected. So you know that was just something that I thought of and uh ended up putting it on paper and making an initiative. And um actually me and all need to go out any chance we get and we speak together about you know both sides of the gun. You know both both feelings from both ends and hopefully the touch is the perpetrator or somebody that's thinking about being a perpetrator or. It even touches, you know, you know, um, victims' families as well, man, and vic- you know, victims. You know, we just we we striving to change people's mindset, and that's what it's about. When you when you guys linked up to 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 do this bigger initiative, or there's pushback. Oh, it's major major pushback. Like, what's 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 the craziest argument you heard, or the craziest man? Listen, pushback man. you heard, man. Man, I was I was almost I was disowned, man. Really? I mean, I remember when we got on New York One, and uh. I don't remember the reporter's name, but she was like, do you really want to do this? As loved as your daughter was, are you going to, you know, it's days after the trial. Are you really prepared to put yourself out there like that? I said, look, man, I mean, if if we don't take a stand and and do something different, man, it's going to be more lives at stake. So, so, you know, let, 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 let me, um, let me, let me, you know, this is what I'm going to do. I mean, I, I use the parable. I use the, um, Analogy that when God told Jesus what to do, he ain't turning to ask the disciples, man. He right. just did what, 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 did did what he, he was supposed he to do. He followed the higher call. Yeah, exactly. So, right. I mean, that that was like, you know, that was basically what, what my premise was. Right. So you're starting to have influence now. You're, you're speaking out against the violence in the community. Um, people are listening. People are hearing what you're saying. But then a year ago, instead of the community getting help, <laughs> there's a huge police raid. Yeah, that was in, in both houses, Manhattanville and, and Grant. I mean, and they claim that it's the biggest what gang related <laughs> raid in, in in the history of New York City. Is that is that am I correct? Yeah, you correct. Right. I mean, um, and I'm gonna be honest with you, man. Um, you know, we did everything in our power to actually ask all, you know, everybody we could to come down and, and look at this problem and kind of like um help us with the problem right. or help us with the situation. Right. At one time, we even had. The, the family, the, the mothers in 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 a, in a room, and 
you know, in, 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 a, in a room. We also had the young men in the room, and they actually, um, they, they, they wanted to stop. Man. But, I mean, you know, you know, we had them truce, a truce for about 30 to 40, to, well, about 30 to 45 days. Right. Man. Had them truced out. So, you know, it was, it, it was something. I think if we, if we would have uh, got a little bit of help or people were listening, you know, that's why I'm, I'm, I'm... Instead of trying to get rid of... And try to get rid of... Of the people. Yeah, exactly. As opposed to the problem. Exactly. I think if if, if, if people would have listened to us then, we we would have been able to, to stop a lot of things that was, that you know, this whole gang raid or we, we could have been a deterrent in it. And, I mean, a lot of people didn't believe in it, you know. They didn't believe that we had that much um influence on the community, you know. Because um, most people were homeless. I mean, hopeless. I mean, most people were hopeless, and most people don't know. Didn't know. I mean, Jen always tells me all the time. You know, when when we were when she was writing the story and she was um walking with me, she was like, "Yo, you do all this, and you know, this is what's going on, and you know, you you don't you don't tell nobody. You right. you don't you know. And I mean, I'm I'm just grateful to her for 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 bring, putting it out there, so right. now people do know, you know, and do know what's going on. In this raid, though, your son gets is is one of the the, the people that get arrested. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you know, my son got, you know, yeah, my son got arrested, man. I mean, uh, the premise, uh, you know, he, he, he's, you know, he's Chicken's brother, right? So, and there, there, there's this conspiracy case surround, and you're fighting that right now. Yeah. How how's that looking, man? Uh, I mean, it's you know, I just, you know, I just, uh, it's looking, you know, you gotta. A uh, hundred young people that's that's been locked up. A so, hundred, yeah, hundred and three actually. Hundred and three, right? Yeah, eighty of them already. I think copped out to bids. You know? and, and I mean, you know, we just, you know, we we just you know, hope for the best, man. Right. Pray for the best, hope for the best. Um, Jennifer, in your article, you note that in the fifties and in the sixties, the city took a different approach with young people who might be at risk, who might be caught up, um, and they had street workers, people on the ground that really integrated themselves into the community to kind of quell and kind of ease the, the pressure and the, the violence within, I guess, whoever was clashing. And it was more of an outreach program. Why, don't, why do you think we don't have that right now? You know, um, I and how, how, I'm sorry. And how effective were these programs back in the day? Um, <clears throat> you know, I think they varied um, city by city how effective they were and, and, but certainly, um, you know, had to be more effective than our current approach. I mean, I think fi- as a society, we've become increasingly dependent on the police and prosecutors to solve all of our problems, which is what Taylon's been talking about. And, you know, the real on-the-ground street work, which, you know, happened in 50s, 60s in New York City, is exactly what he's been doing for the last several years. And just, you know, trailing around after him in the Grand Houses, in the Manhattanville Houses, seeing the way the young men respond to him, it's very powerful and it's very, you know, obvious. It only takes about two minutes to see the kind of influence he has, positive influence. You know, everybody coming up to him, greeting him, and looking for some mentorship and some words of advice. And half the people are saying, hey, do you know about any jobs? You know, every other person is saying, do you know about any jobs? Everybody wants to work. Everybody really wants to be able to provide for themselves and their family. That's right. And there's all these young men around who don't seem to have a job or be in school. You know, there's this buzzword that people use in government, disconnected youth. What does I wanted to ask you about that. Yeah. What, what, what is this buzzword and what's the connotation? 
I mean, this is not a word that, you know, Taylor Murphy here would ever use, but it's a word that people in the foundation world or the government world, policy world, have started talking about in recent years. It's basically, you know, individuals, um, you know, late teens to mid-20s who are not in school, who don't have jobs. In New York City, they estimate about 20%. And folks that have just, that are sort of disconnected from the larger society, the idea being that these folks really need help. They really need jobs or they need to, you know, help finding their place in society. And do they feel that, that there's no place, there's nothing for them? Um, well, Taylor could probably speak better to that than I could, but I think there's certainly, you know, when you have crummy schools, that we haven't even talked about the state of the, you know, the state of the housing projects, and, and it's like walking into a third world, you know, these 50-year-old brick buildings where everything's falling apart, and, you know, it's just like from every from every um, vantage point, it seems like the message is being sent. You know that you're assaulted on every sense. That's right. That we don't care about you. Society no. doesn't care about you. And you know, uh, Taylor's story, what happened with his daughter, the the clashes between these two projects in West Harlem. One of the craziest things is the the way the larger neighborhood around those two projects has changed in recent years. I mean, it's literally happening right across the street from this six billion dollar new campus that Columbia University is building. I mean, it's. You know, it's not something happening in a desolate part of New York City. It's sort of right in the center uh, of where so much uh, gentrification is happening. What's the relationship between the community and Columbia University? Well, I mean, there's a, there's a CBA agreement, you know, Community Benefits Agreement, that Columbia is expanding its, um, huh, its campus, you know, and all. Um, you know, I, I, I. What does that mean? Was 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 that was was that mean? Well, I mean, I guess they did. I mean, I'm not, I'm not as versed as my partner and other people on my team, right. or you know, my other teammates are with the, the agreement. I mean, I've learned going on, you know, as I go along, that um, they're actually looking to build buildings around the surrounding areas of of Grant and Manhattanville, you know, and for the purposes of for for the students for right, the campus to right, expand right. their campus, right, right. So. I mean, that's, so in a sense, the community is a nuisance. <laughs> I mean, you said that. Yeah, I said that. Yeah, I said that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and, and I and I can th- I I think that that that's part of that's a sore thumb, right? You know, and I think that's more the reason why you you want a vibrant community, right? Of course, because you you want a vibrant you want a community, you know that 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 is growing with the with that community that's surrounding it that's that's growing, right? So yeah, I mean, in a sense, yes, it is a sore thumb. Now, now, Taylor, amongst all of these amazing things that you did, one of the most remarkable things that I read about is you started your own organization, um, or you 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 started a program that logistically was between both projects, between both houses. Well, what we did was we um we got a dilapidated uh, uh storefront right that had been closed for over twenty five years. Okay. Storefront. Yeah, that's been closed over twenty five years. And uh we uh we we said that this was the prime location to put uh crisis intervention center. Mm-hmm. And uh we ended up um we ended up uh renting out the storefront and uh we're in the process of hopefully uh acquiring some funds because we raised some we raised the money ourselves. Right. We said you know, we gotta go out there and kinda like raise the money ourselves. Uh an older woman, you know, understood that was from the community understood what our plight was you know and what we were striving to do and saw that was an honorable you know honorable gesture of what we were doing or honorable cause or honor you know and she uh said let me um 
donate some money. And she donated us up some money with some other funds that we raised, and we opened up a, a we opened up we we purchased the storefront. Nice. Now, what's remarkable about this storefront is that the first year that you guys opened up the storefront, there was within the you know during the first year, there was only one violent death in the community. Well, um. That wasn't the first year actually we opened up the storefront. Right. That was last. We just opened up the storefront in, in on June. Okay. We got the lease in June. Right. Okay. I mean, I I guess what you what you're saying is the our thoughts of the crisis management center because the crisis management center, a crisis intervention center, as we call it, um, is more of an idea, mm-hmm. an ideology. So we were on the ground during that time trying to you know I guess mark our territory so so to speak and say that this block. On Old Broadway, you know, on between on Old Broadway between 125th Street and 126th Street is going to be a safe zone, and that and and that's what we actually were um out there, you know, striving to um advocate for. And it did become a safe zone. Yeah, basically. Right. Basically. How? What's the tension? How? What's the relationship between both houses right now? Well, um, the relationship is pretty good, man. We got we had gotten um seven young men last Tuesday, and uh. From from Grant and ten young men from Manhattan and brought them together, and said, "Man, we we trying to set up this place for you guys." Right. And uh, they came together and I uh, actually got it on video. They came together and they shook hands and they talked out their differences. I mean, it was real tense. Right. You know, a lot of people still feel a certain way about you know the things that happened, especially what happened with my my baby. Of course. So, you know. Um, and what's crazy is you're willing to go to length to move on, and then you have people that. Supporting you that might not want to move on. I mean, I just think that um, you know, you can't people people have a right to feel the way they want to feel, the right. way they feel. I mean, when, especially in a situation like that, you know, I think gradually they're starting to see the big picture. They're starting to see, you know, turning the page. I mean, but it's always going to be that pain and 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 I can't like as far as her, like her mother, you know, she carried her nine months. Right. I can't. You know, I, I can't even phantom right. how she feels. And I was, you know, she was around me a lot, my daughter. So she can't, because that's daddy's little girl. So right. she can't even phantom how I feel. Right, right, right. But I know that this was needed. Man. Right. This was needed because if this was done maybe <laughs> 10, 15 years ago, instead of sitting here talking to you, I'd be at a game right, right now, sitting there, you know, maybe courtside, you cheering, know, eating popcorn. The courtside coaching, yeah, right? Yeah, cheering, cheering my daughter right, on, you know? Right. So, you know, I'm I'm, I'm, I'm like, look, man, we, we got to make a change and we got to start somewhere. A lot of people, you know, lip service, lip service, lip service, and um, I'm all about walking, man. You know, it's how you walk. Jennifer, how did you hear about Taylon and what got you interested in, in covering the story? You know, I heard him on a panel at Columbia University about a year ago, maybe November 2014. And uh, I think it was a panel about the criminal justice system, and I was listening to him. And I was just sort of blown away by some of his insights. You know, I, I've been writing about the criminal justice system for years, and he just seemed to come at it with a 360-degree view of it. You know, the son of a former prison guard who was in prison himself, had been on Rikers Island during some of the darkest days there, obviously lost his daughter, been through two trials. I mean, it's just an extraordinary... And his ongoing... One right now with with, with his right, learning what it's like to be the father of a defendant <coughs> facing charges. I mean, it's he's just got uh, my feeling was that he had insights into the criminal justice system that very few people possess, and right. that that was something that I wanted to, you know, 
kind of learn more about, see if I could write about it. And I was just also just very impressed by, you know, the way he had turned his pain um, and tried to, you know, use it in a positive way. Um, so that was sort of the beginning of conversations that started about a year ago. And, you know, I was, I feel very fortunate that he let me sort of hang with him for, for you know, months. It, it took quite a while to put this story together, but, you know, it was, uh, I felt, I was very, just felt very fortunate in the end. And the New Yorker, to their credit, gave the story a lot of space. Um, and we really got, were able to get into some of the same types of, you know, issues that we're talking about right now. How can me and our listeners support um, you and, and the work that you're doing? I mean, right now, I mean, first and foremost, man, I mean, a lot of, a lot of listeners um, could support by um, actually getting involved, getting involved in, in small ways, man. just little small groups. And I'm actually talking to these young people about, you know, their choices. That's number one. And I'm going to say that's number one because I think that's the most important, you know, being hands-on to make that change. And and getting the kids to realize that everything is a choice. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, we also, we well, us personally, um, we have a crowdfunding that's um, helping youth, you know, um, in the memory of Tish, in the memory of Chicken. Uh, we also have a website. What, 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 where's the crowdfunding? Where, where, crowdfunding right now is on, on social media. It's on Facebook. Uh, and, um. We also have um, we also have a a found a foundation website which is um TayshaunaChickenMurphy.org, which you can go to the website and actually um plug into a lot of the links, uh, show the documentary trailer, different things. But um, I, between our website and our crowdfunding, you can actually get involved with what we what we're doing. Right now, now Jennifer, you've also um made an impact. On covering another situation, another case, you've 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 been very instrumental in covering uh, the tragedy of uh, Khalif Browder, uh, the young man that uh, was unjustly, uh, I guess, uh, arrested and incarcerated for the alleged theft of a book bag, and while awaiting trial, I think he was awaiting trial for a six-month period, and he ended up doing three years in Rikers. Um, can can we talk a little bit about about that situation, that case, and the, the effects of incarceration and what it had on him, and countless other young men that go through that situation? Sure. So you know, as you said, Khalif, he was arrested in the spring of 2010, charged with robbery in the Bronx. He was picked up uh, maybe about two in the morning, walking home from a party. Somebody in the back of a police car pointed him out and said that this that he had robbed him of a of a backpack a week or two earlier. Khalif insisted he'd done nothing wrong. He thought it was just going to be maybe a couple of hours at the precinct. He'd go home. Took three years. Um, and I did a story about him for The New Yorker in the fall of 2014. And it talked about delays in the court system, trying to explain, you know, why it had taken so long. Basically, he refused to plead guilty. He hadn't done anything wrong, and he wasn't going to cop out to something that he hadn't done. And his insistence on a trial, which is, you know, the Sixth Amendment, you know, guarantees the right to a speedy trial. He thought, you know, I'm going to go. process. Exactly. I'm going to go to trial and get this taken care of and go home and go back to high school. He was, you know, um, at the end of his sophomore year when he was locked up. And, you know, he didn't know that almost nobody goes to trial, especially not in the Bronx where it takes forever. And uh, they offered him different plea deals and he refused. And it took three years. He lost his junior and senior years of high school before he finally got out of that place and uh, got back home. And of the three years he spent on Rikers, um, he spent about two years in solitary confinement, and I met him about six months after he got home, and I spent a lot of time with him. I interviewed him many times and uh, ended up writing this story about him. 
for the New Yorker. And, you know, the crazy thing is when I was coming down here today to speak to you, uh, his lawyer's office is about three blocks away. So I spent all the time I spent with him, for the most part, was right here. Right. In a couple of these restaurants and his lawyer's office, right just, you know, a block or two away from here. Is this business as usual? What do you mean? What like happened? in terms of someone getting snatched, getting their freedom snatched for something that they didn't do. And while awaiting due process, they, they go through this hell for, for however long. You know, so in some ways, Khalif Browder's story is a bit extreme. Right. You know, but part of the reason that I wanted to write about his story in the first place is because I felt like his story, what had happened to him, illustrated almost every single thing that was wrong in the criminal justice system. Yes. You know, from wrongful arrest uh, to the court delays to the impact of solitary confinement. Uh, to the, to, to, to the, the, what's going on in, in, the, in the prisons. Right, exactly. The abuse by correction officers. Right. You know, we later... I later got videos from his time on Rikers. We put them up on the horrendous, website. Horrendous, horrendous. Un- I watched that and it was crazy. Unbelievable. Right. And, you know, then he, as I'm sure you know, took his life this past June. Yes. And he was, it was 10 days after his 22nd birthday. Um, Had he been going through counseling or was it just overwhelming what, what he had experienced? You know, it, it was totally overwhelming what he experienced. When I first met him, you know, it was, even though he'd been out of jail for months, you could tell that he wasn't fully acclimated to being out. You know, right. you could almost tell that he'd been in solitary for so long. He was kind of a little uncomfortable being around people. Um, and Open space. Exactly. He spent a lot of time in his room with the door shut. He spent a lot of time pacing, pacing in the driveway. His brother told me to always like try to invite him out, go to the movies and stuff. He didn't want to go. He didn't feel comfortable in crowds. So, you know, the impact and the trauma was significant. And um, But despite all that, he managed to get a GED after he got out making up for those two years that he'd lost of schooling. He enrolled in Bronx Community College, um, and he was actually you know, doing well um, earlier this year, February, March, April. He was doing well, and then, you know, you know, I don't know exactly what was happening right. in those final hours, but he ended up taking his life. Right. Taylan, you've, you, you've, you've experienced solitary confinement. Yeah. What does that do, man? I mean, it is. It's, it's demoralizing. <clears throat> I mean, you have to really have a... A strong spirit to actually get through it, you know. Um, and and for somebody that uh that really is not supposed to be there, you know. I mean, I remember when Jen when I first met Jen, and I actually actually gave me the, uh, the copy of the New Yorker that she wrote, you know, on Khalif, and um, I read it, and you know, I was kind of blown away because it took me back to when I was in solitary right. confinement for and, something you didn't, you know. I do. mean, yeah, pretty much, you right. know, and and and. It it, it kind of had me thinking like you know I, I wanted to reach out to this young man actually um, speak with him because I can I I know how it is to to maybe hear voices because I've 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 heard other people you know next door to me or under me talk about they hear voices or you know they they're talking to themselves and just you know come doing different things my thing was just actually working out you know keeping my mind on seeing my my daughter. Again, and then I mean, I, at one time, I you know I had um, Tayshawn's mom, Chicken's mom, coming to see me, so it gave me a release, you know. And he maybe and he didn't have that, release. right? So I mean, solitary confinement can 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 really um break a person. As someone of our community, how do what 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 do we do to change our own communities, man? What suggestions do you have? Well, I mean, <laughs> you know, I I told you one of them. One of them, we got to get out there and um. If if each each and every one of us actually um snatches two young men, you know, even even just your your children's friends, and um you know 
pick them up, school them, you know, take some time out for them. I think uh, a big thing is the men in our community getting involved with, with the young men and actually bringing them into that rite of passage on how to be a man. And I think we have to change the culture on uh, what's, what's the status quo or raise the bar on what's cool and what's not cool. And, and Jennifer, how, what do you suggest, what are the suggestions you have for people that are not of the community, but this problem affects all of us? What, what do you suggest to people who may not, who they, they, like I said, they're not part of the community, but this story, these stories affect them. Like, like, like what, what suggestions do you have for them in terms of getting involved and in, 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 in helping to change this? Um, I think first and foremost, people you know, just need to sort of educate themselves. Right. If, if, if they, if you have never visited a prison or a jail, if you don't know anybody who's ever been to prison or jail, it's very easy to never think about it, you know, or to imagine, oh, that's, you know, they got those people taken care of and it's not my problem. Well, it is your problem. You know, we've got more than 2 million people locked up across the country. It's, it's everybody's problem. You know, we're starting nationally to see a little bit more of a public conversation about the merits of, you know, and, and the impact of mass of all of our right. mass incarceration, all our punishment policies, you know, are really sort of coming under scrutiny. And I think it's time for sort of, you know, all Americans to kind of wake up because a lot of the things that, you know, the Black Lives Matter folks have been talking about, it's not new. It's just now we have cell phone cameras and we're seeing it. You know, the, we have a platform. Uh, that's and right. A and the abuse that, you know, is all over the Internet that Khalif Bradder endured in Rikers Island. I can't imagine that's too different than what Talon saw in 1990. Right. You know, so so there is an awakening starting. But I think, you know, it's time for sort of the whole country to wake up to what's been going on and the legacy and the trauma of, of you know, the ha- and the havoc that our policies have wreaked. So we have a, a lot of work to do, a whole lot of work to do. You mentioned a trailer. Yeah. yeah. A trailer to what? What's, what's oh, man, going on? We got a trailer out, man. Um, Chicken, life, the life, the love, the legacy. Right. Um, trailer is actually going to be just Tayshana's story mm-hmm. and actually my, my rebirth. Okay. Is it a documentary? Yeah, it's it... going to be a doc. Okay. It's a documentary. All right. Excellent. Um, you can check it out on Chicken Life to Love the Les- Legacy dot com. Right. You know, I, I thank you both for coming here and really just sharing this story, man. And 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 I got to tell you, as as much as I can be hopeful, and whole lot, and the whole nine, sometimes I'm I'm pretty hopeless, man. What do you? How do how do you, what do you say to somebody that that feels that this this problem is so out of hand that there's no way we could turn this around? Man, we changing we changing lives one life at a time, man. Right. One street at a time, you know, one one block at a time. Right. So so I mean, you 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 have to keep up the hope, man, because it's a whole generation we losing and we definitely want a future. Um, Taylor, man, share with me one of the biggest miracles you experienced after you know, throughout this whole ordeal. Like what what what's the biggest experience that the most magical experience that said, you know what, this is absolute proof. That you're on the right path, man. That just happened on Tuesday, man. Right. When when them young, well, the the first time I knew when the young people first came together and didn't want to do this anymore, right. you know. And I think they don't want to do, you know, you know. I don't think I don't think they want to fight each other. Right. I just think they're so angry, man, because the generations before ours and before theirs, our generation kind of failed them in right. certain aspects. But I think the most the 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 two most um time most you know impactful times for me was watching them young men come together the first time and definitely um on last tuesday watching them come together and shake each other's hand and say yo it's a bigger picture man right. let's, let's deal with the bigger picture jennifer what are you working on right now more criminal justice more stories cr- I think. Yeah. yeah does that does that does that exact a toll on you um you know i wrote a lot about 
the state prison system in New York in the late 90s and early 2000s, and then I, thought, I just said, I have to take a break from this. Right. But then, you know, several years passed, and then I heard about Khalif's story, and I just felt like, you know, I just was so angry about what had happened to him, him spending three years for nothing, um, that I just took me right back, you know, got right back on that path. And, you know, I just, I just, every, any, anytime I can get a story like that out in the world, I feel like that's a, you know, sort of small victory. Uh, where where can people find your work on social media or in general? You know, they can go to the New Yorker website, which is newyorker.com, and they can find the story about Taylor Murphy. Just search his name or search chicken, um, or they can read the original story about Khalif um, Browder uh, on the same website, newyorker.com. Well, I, I thank you guys both for, for coming here. I think this work is important, um, and, you know, I'll give you my please keep us informed in terms of what we can do. Uh, to continue to support you because, like I said, this is not an isolated, it's not just, it's going on all throughout the city and it's going on all throughout the country. And if we don't do anything, man, we, we're, we're doomed. So, so Mr. Taylor Murphy, Jennifer Gonerman, I really appreciate you guys stopping by the Combat Jack Show. Thank you so much. Thank you. Internets, you know what it is. Dream those dreams and then man up, woman up, and live those dreams because a life without dreams is black and white and the universe flows in Technicolor and surround sound. No! This episode of the Combat Jack Show was produced by Jonathan Menner, executive produced by A. King and Chris Morrow, engineered by Samir Karan, and recorded in the Engine Room Audio Studio in downtown Manhattan. This is an official Loudspeakers Network's production.